Are you cruising through life not always knowing what direction you were headed? Let Live On Purpose with Dr. Paul Jenkins be your guide. Live On Purpose will give you insights into your life and show you how you can become the driver and captain of it. No more aimless wandering. By learning the principles that govern happiness and wealth, you will be able to make personal progress that you have only dreamed possible. And now, here's your host, the shrink who expands your life, Dr. Paul. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live on Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life. I'm excited to be here with another episode of Live on Purpose Radio, and this is one that I've been looking forward to for some time now. Uh, today's guest is someone that I met in December when I was attending CEO Space at Lake Tahoe, and his name is Brett Harward. Welcome, Brett. Thank you. Good to be here. I'm glad to have you with me. You introduced me to your book when we were at Lake Tahoe for that interesting week. Didn't you think that was an interesting experience? That was a fascinating experience. Yes, it was. Some neat things, some neat people. And uh, your book is called The Five Laws That Determine All of Life's Outcomes, which is a pretty bold title. That is, that is a bold title. But you gave it a lot of thought, too. It wouldn't, I didn't think it would sell as many if I said the five laws that determine some of life's outcomes. So, <laughs> The five uh, guidelines that could have an impact on something that you do. Yeah. Well, this is, um, we'll get into uh, some of the content from the book as we get into our discussion today. But, Brad, I want to give you a chance to just give a little bit of an introduction to yourself. Sometimes when I take off and introduce my guests, I say all kinds of things they didn't want me to say anyway. Um, you, you tell could, us about you, who you are, what you do. Um, well, I, I'm, uh, I'm 45 years old. I've, I've, I've grown up. My background is, is really business. I've done a lot of work in the business field. Um, I work with entrepreneurs. I work with small business owners. And I, mm-hmm. I grew up from the time I was 23 years old. I've owned my own businesses. And mm-hmm. some of them have been catastrophic failures. I've had a couple of, of huge successes. And... Um, and I think people mostly ask me to speak because of the successes, even though those were fewer and further between. Although, you know what? We may spend <laughs> a little time on the other end today just because, well, this is something that I get quite often because, as you know, I'm a psychologist and I work with people who who tend to come to me. And this has changed a little bit over the last couple of years, but they still tend to come to me when things are hard, when things aren't going quite the way they want them to. And it's easy sometimes to have a perception of those who are successful. And what standard are we using to judge that anyway, right? Right. But when you see someone who you perceive to be successful, it's easy to look at your own outcomes or your own results and say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not doing so well or I'm failing. And I think everybody goes through hard times and they go through uh, challenging experiences. So this is true of you too. Yeah, I've had, I had, I think I failed once or twice in, yeah. in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Are you grateful Every for day. those failures? Oh yeah, that's that's where the learning. That's where most of the learning occurs. Most of what I teach people, um, believe it or not, comes from failures. I I, I learn mm. from the failures, and eventually I get something and, and have some successes. But the failures mm-hmm. are what taught the lessons. So, and some of the most powerful lessons come that <laughs> most way. Most powerful and painful. Yes, that's true. <laughs> 
going through some myself. <laughs> and, and that's just part of life. That's part of the process. And if you keep the right perspective, and we're going to talk a little bit about perspective today and perceptions, because that's one of the five laws, right? Yep, the law of perception. law of perception. Uh, perspective makes all the difference in how you interpret your current experience, but also in what you're going to do with it once you move past it, once you move through it. Yeah, well, we're going to have a fun discussion. We'll talk about frequency, which is, we'll talk about that one, which is how fast do you move through it? Because a lot of people, mm. everybody fails. Some people just take a really long time to do it. And and that's a problem in and of itself also. So, Well, that may be a good way to, to structure some of our conversation today. There, there were a few things that I noted as I was reading your book that I, I will point out at the appropriate times. But maybe we ought to structure this just in terms of the five laws. Because you've got some ideas about each one of these that you might like to share with our listeners. Absolutely. So law number one, the first law, what was that one? The first law is the law of vision. And, you know, I, I do, I, in, in lots of different formats, I, I, I do some training, some personal development training in li- you know, mm-hmm. life development. I do a lot of business coaching. And the, one of the very first things I noticed that is common in most people is they spend most of their life focused on what they don't want. And Boy, isn't that true? They, you know, in, in their marriages with their kids, they, they focus on, I don't want this to happen. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel that way. And, and the problem with that is I think I, I, in the book, I, I use the example of calling a travel agent and saying that it's like calling a travel agent and saying, you know, I want to buy a ticket. I want to buy an airplane ticket and I don't want to go to LA. And it's like, yeah, I might have eliminated one of the possible destinations, but it doesn't provide any direction not going to LA. Mm. That doesn't help the travel agent at all to help you, does <laughs> right. it? Right, that's right. The, what a trap that is. You know, I was just thinking of a, a couple that I saw recently, and we were uh, they were seeing me to, to improve their marriage somehow. And as I met with them, I said, well, what is it that, that you want? What do you want this to be like? And she jumped in and said, well, I just don't want him to be so critical all the time. <laughs> right. Okay, well, that's kind of useful information, but not really. And it wasn't what I was asking. And, right. So uh, he could be angry instead of being critical, or he could be, because there's all kinds of that. There's so many options. Open. You bet. So the law of vision has to do with, with becoming very clear about what it is that you do want. Yeah, on both a big picture level and on a, on a micro level. So the law mm-hmm. of vision is about um, being clear, you know, first and foremost, what's my life? What do I want to accomplish in the, in my life? And what's mm-hmm. my purpose? And and then it gets as small as when I'm going to have a conversation with someone, whether it's one of my kids or with my spouse or with a business partner or a potential client, um, people that are vision driven, you know, they'll start a sales call by saying, okay, the per- here's what I want to accomplish in this call. At the end of the call, I want to be able to decide, is this a good fit between what we do and what, and what you need or not? That's where I'd like to get to in this conversation. So let's, and, mm. and get the other person to buy in and say, I, that'd be great for me too. I'd like to get there too. And now this, the whole conversation has a structure and a framework to it with an outcome mm. that we want and, you know, versus, versus most people engage saying, I want to get a sale. And the other person saying, I don't want to be sold. And, and then you just have a mixed mash of, you know, dialogue that's going on the entire time with mm-hmm. both people trying to accomplish different objectives. And if you can determine up front that you have different objectives, then you could structure it very differently than if you just launch into it not knowing. 
Well, and a lot of times both people can win. So you say, well, here's what I'd like to accomplish. And the other person say, well, here's what I want to accomplish. It's like, great. So at Mm -hmm. the end of this conversation, let's structure this. So we both get where we want to go, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's right. So that's, that's the, that's the law of vision. The law of vision is having direction in life and constantly on big picture things and on small things. It's constantly having a focus and direction. Mm -hmm. So you know where you're going to go. Yep. Gives you the direction. I, I'm thinking of driving a car too, and you hop in there. If you're going to drive somewhere, it makes a big difference whether you turn right or left. <laughs> if if there's some particular place you want to go, now it's like the Cheshire Cat, you know, from Alice in Wonderland. That's right. And Alice Alice asked, "Well, which way do I go?" When she came to the fork in the road, and Cat said, "Well, where do you want to end up?" Oh, I don't know. Well, it doesn't really matter then, does it? <laughs> that's right. So it gives you the direction. Yeah, that's I, when I was a kid. I heard a I, I heard a, a story that that left a huge impression on me as a child about about a guy that was driving down the road. There's a true story, and he he passed three hitchhikers on his way between between Salt Lake City and Boise, and and uh, mm. the the first sign the first hitchhiker had a sign that said Boise, and he thought that's cool. I could give him a ride because I'm that's where I'm going is to Boise, and the second hitchhiker he saw that had a sign that said Los Angeles, and he thought, well, I'm not going that way, so I you know, doesn't, don't want to spend time talking here. The third hitchhiker, he said, was the one that really caught his attention because the third hitchhiker had on the cardboard sign was lettered anywhere. anywhere. I'll go anywhere you want to take me. And he's like, yeah, anywhere that guy's, here. yeah. And uh, a lot of people live life like that. Just, yeah, that's right. Well, you, you already mentioned the second law and maybe we can introduce that before we get to our first break. The law of frequency. Once I have a, once I have an objective, once I have a direction that I'm headed, then, then the law of frequency, I can start to apply it. Frequency is simply, am I on course or am I not on course? It's, it's how, how will I measure? What are the mile markers along the way? If I wanted to go from Salt Lake City to, to New York City, um, the, New York City might be my vision. Well, somewhere along the way, I'm probably going to go through Denver and I'm probably going to go through, if I'm on my way to New York City, I know that if I hit Phoenix, I'm, I've gone the wrong way. Actually, I, hopefully I'll mm-hmm. be, when I hit Cedar City, I know I'm going the wrong way. Uh-huh. Um, and and so frequency is just about how often do I course correct? How often do I check my results to see if I'm on track or not on track? And most people just don't mm. do it regularly enough. You're mostly off track. A lot, yeah. It's, if it's, you think it, about it, it's, it's how often can you cross the course? Basically, so once you once mm-hmm. you have that line between where you're at and your vision, you know, it's it's how often can I cross it? Because the question is, how far off track do you let yourself get? And it's mm-hmm. easy to get back on track when you're just a little bit off. It's when you're out in the right field, it's, it becomes mm-hmm. a life-changing alteration to try and get back on track at that point. You know, I think it was Bob Proctor I heard teaching a concept uh, that was very similar, but it had to do with an airplane. And when it takes off from the airport, it's almost immediately off course. But it has all these computer guidance systems and the GPS and all the navigation and things that tells it, okay, you're going just a little off course. And so it makes those little rudder shifts and and tail movements or whatever it takes to bring that plane back on course well as soon as it gets back on course its momentum kind of carries it off course the other way right it's like driving a boat and so it it makes another (laughs) correction so you're constantly making these corrections and i I had a friend say once you know it's good to make those course corrections before you have to make forced corrections that's right that's that's what happens eventually um yeah, you know, here's a, here's a great example that I've used that really a, it kind of teaches the principle, the heart of the principle. Um, I I bought a hybrid a while back because I felt so bad about how much gas my truck used, and so 
I went, I bought this hybrid car. And after the first two weeks, I was in a parking lot waiting for someone. And I, for the first time I started checking out all my computer gauges and, and information panels. Mm -hmm. And I found this screen that showed me over the first two weeks of owning the car, even though I thought when I bought it, I would get 38 miles per gallon. That's what it said on the sticker. I found that over the first two weeks, I only got 29 miles per gallon. And I was like, oh, that's, that stinks. What misleading marketing. You know, right, I, I was really right. irritated about it. And, and then I hit another button that gave me a breakdown. It gave me this bar chart and told me on a minute-by-minute -minute basis what my mileage was. And it was just a bar chart on the car. And I thought. Just tracks it as you drive. Huh? Yeah, as you drive. Uh -huh. I thought, this is really cool. And so I started leaving that up when I was driving. And I found as I left it up and I started watching every single minute. What was my mileage for the last minute? What Am I on track? And I, in my mind, even though the, the mileage says 38, in my number, I kind of rounded up to 40. I thought, if I can stay above the 40 miles per hour line, that's good. Below it's bad. And so mm -hmm. I started monitoring my driving, and it was amazing how I was able to increase my mileage by about 30% by making little tiny corrections to my driving to keep me above the line rather than below it. And I managed it every mm -hmm. minute. Because of that frequent feedback that you got. Absolutely. Fascinating. We'll be right back. If the pile of books you want to read is growing faster than the pile you have read, then Abundant Reading Systems can help you. After taking Abundant Reading Systems course, I dramatically increased my ability to expand my knowledge in a much more efficient way. My fastest test today was in 7,000 words per minute. I highly recommend this program from what I've seen it do for other people who've been through the entire program and from what I've seen in myself today. I've teamed up with Abundant Reading Systems to offer a single-day intensive speed reading workshop that will at least double your reading speed, guaranteed. This belief started to grow inside of me that I thought, you know, I can really do this. I can read, you know, as fast as I let myself read. And, uh... Ended up doubling my time, my speed reading time, which was really good. This is David Hinton, founder of Abundant Reading Systems. I want to personally invite you to join us for our next event. Visit AbundantReadingSystems.com now. Abundant Reading Systems, reading at the speed of imagination. Thank you for joining me for the Live on Purpose radio podcast. It is truly an honor to be a part of your prosperity team. Please visit my website, drpaul.org, to get connected with other tools for you and your family. There you will find links to my weekly e-zine, Empower, Harnessing the Power of the Mind, and to the free Parental Power teleconference that I host every week with my wife, Vicki. You can also check out upcoming events, or pick up powerful information products. Feel free to contact me directly with questions, comments, or to book me for your company or private event. Email me through drpaul at liveonpurposeradio.com. So, Brett, while we're talking about this frequency thing, one of my greatest fears is making mistakes or failing. 
You know, am I yeah. weird? No, that m- most people in life, as a matter of fact, this it goes back to the vision thing. Most people they focus on on what they don't want and, and they don't want to fail. And so a lot of people mm-hmm. they attempt so few things because they they don't want to fail. The, what I've discovered, and I I I put a ratio on it. My experience is uh, in almost any phase of life, in almost any aspect, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a business, whether it's our jobs, about nine out of ten things that we attempt don't work out the way we think that they will. It just doesn't work that way. And, mm-hmm. and most mm-hmm. of the time, it's not an utter failure. It's just it. You know, we go out and we expect to make three sales and we make two, uh, or we go out and we expect to make five thousand dollars and we make three. And mm-hmm. it and so. A lot of people, they, then then we become, we made three instead of five and we just cling to the three. We keep doing the same thing because we're more afraid of losing that than we are of actually getting what we say we want. Um, mm-hmm. In the, some of the trainings that I do, one of the examples that we use that's just kind of, it's funny to watch human behavior is, is. We'll, we'll take a brown paper bag and... I, t- I explain to people in the audience that inside the bag, I've got a whole bunch of $1 bills. I've got, I've got quite a few fives. I've got a lot of tens. I've got some twenties. I've got a couple of fifties and I have $100 bill. And it, it's funny because people come up and I let them reach their hand in the bag and pull out a bill. And, and then I ask them, you know, do you want to, you want to p- take that one or get a different one? If they, if they pull out a one, it's pretty much a no brainer. They say, yeah, I, no, I can't do worse. Yeah. Right. I can't fail here. I've already failed as bad as I can fail. When they pull out a five or a 10, it's funny to watch their response because they have to think about it a little bit because they know there's worse stuff in the bag than that. Mm-hmm. They also know there's some better. And most of the time people think about it for a little bit for a few seconds and then they say, oh, I'll, I'll pick it again. When they pull out a 20 or 50, even though it's only 20% or 50% of what's possible, mm-hmm. and they know that, most people stop. As a matter of fact, every single person that's ever pulled out a 20 or 50, they stop right then because they don't want to risk what they, the, the $20. They know that there's a lot of stuff that could be worse. And so, mm-hmm. you know, from my experience, here's the secret to success in life if we use that kind of game as an analogy is if you come up and you're absolutely clear on your vision, what would be the only logical vision if you had a vision as you started that process? Well, you want the hundred. You want the hundred. That's obvious. Bring on the hundo. And so it becomes really simple at that point when you reach in your bag and you pull out anything other than a hundred. What's the choice when you want? Do you want to pick, a, you want to pick something different? Uh, yeah. Yeah. See, and when most people, when you start without a vision, you start settling for things that aren't really what you want. You start and you start focusing on not failing, not, not losing what you've got. The most successful people, the way to play that game would be to say, Nope, that's not it. 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 Until eventually there it is. Wouldn't take very long either. If you failed really fast, if you took an hour between decisions, Mm. you'd sit there all day long drawing the hundred. But if you're just like, no, 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 just reach your hand and pull out until you got what you wanted. Um, if people, participate in life like that, they'd be more successful. So I, I noticed something else about this too. There's some self-limiting beliefs that, that jump in when people are doing this activity. Do you tell them there's only a limited number that tries? I, or? I don't ever tell them. I don't tell them anything. You don't tell I them just that. let them know and I'd let them pick until they didn't want to pick. At some point, it, you know, but the, yeah, we have this belief. Most people have this belief that, man, we only have one crack at it or, or we have, uh, we have a limitation. A, and our mm-hmm. fear of failing is what stops us from having more opportunities. That's so interesting. And, and a scarcity paradigm, that there's only a limited number of opportunities out there for me. A- absolutely. 
You know, if, if I took, I look at this as a, like it's a bundle of sticks. The problem with with the choices we make often in life, it, there's a lot, there's a lot of people that see choices as either right or wrong or good or bad choices. Most of life, from my experience, it's not about it's between it's it's picking between two really good things and not knowing which one's going to work. Or on the front end, it's making a, a choice based on what looks like a good opportunity. That if you took a pile of sticks and you had ten sticks, knowing one of them is going to be a success stick, mm-hmm. nine of them are going to be failure sticks. They all look exactly the same on the front end of the decision. Mm-hmm. And the most successful people that I work with, they just go through the sticks because they just want to find the success one. And so they just, right. oh, no, failure. And and there's no energy attached to it. They don't like beat themselves up. They don't think that they're you know a bad person because they made a decision and it didn't work. They just, they let go of it quickly. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, in life, our successes are the only thing that accumulate. Our failures, just if we let go of them, they're gone when we let go of them. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful concept, that law of frequency, because it, it has to do with getting past your fears. Now, this leads right into our third law, though, which yes. is well, my personal favorite. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Is a The law of perception. <laughs> what you do for a living. That's oh, right. <laughs> well, it's, it's so fundamental to everything. Everything that you do is based on your perception. Yes. In fact, I, I heard a talk just this last week. Um, as this man was teaching the group, he said, perception is more important than reality. Because it is reality, yes. It is real. That literally is your reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people minimize that sometimes. Well, that's just your perception. That's true, but take out the word just. <laughs> your perception is a, is a powerful influence in your life. Now, it can change, and you can choose it, but you don't always know that when you're in the thick of it. So you've you've told some interesting stories about you know what I got a real kick out of uh, one of the stories you told about uh, the Special Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and uh, I was chuckling about that before the show, and I told Adam I'm not going to share. I'm going to let Brett share that one. Oh, the, yeah, you know I, the one I'm talking about. Yeah, this is David. yeah. When I when I was uh, I had an opportunity many years ago to work with some young people, and I have a son who I have a son with Down syndrome, and. Mm-hmm. I was with him and, and with uh, a couple of his friends, a couple of his older friends, and we were, we were at the uh, Special Olympics. And um, one of the young men, his name was David. And, and mm-hmm. uh, David, at 16 years old, David was like seven foot two. I mean, just a tall, gangly kid and mm. laughed constantly. Um, but he was, uh, um, you know, mentally, mentally challenged, and that hadn't challenged his optimism in life, though, and his enthusiasm. Isn't that wonderful? And, Mm-hmm. As as he was running in the fifty yard dash, his mom was at the finish line. And I was in the starting blocks with him, and they had four heats. He was in the last heat, and as he kind of stepped up, I, he wasn't super motivated about winning. He wasn't. He didn't have the competition gene. He just liked to laugh and have fun more than he did to compete. Mm-hmm. So, I wanted to get him motivated, and so I kind of grabbed his shoulders and was kind of shaking his shoulders, giving him the hype speak, like like I'd seen coaches do on get TV. And uh, I said, "So, David, you're going to beat these guys. You're going to win. You're going to beat these guys." And he looked down the line, and, and in David fashion, as he looked down the line of runners, he was in the first lane. He looked down, and he turned around just giggling to me, and he's like, this, I can beat these guys. They're all retarded. <laughs> and and uh, 
I know that sounds very un- not very sensitive or politically correct, not but PC. yeah, it's not PC, but it d- doesn't capture the essence. I about fell on the ground laughing. It, oh. what, what's funny? It, what's funny is I I told that story in Florida at a speaking conference, and I had someone mm-hmm. that walked up and they, afterwards they said, you know. I, I am just, I'm really offended that you told that story. And, and right. because, because, and I said, well, so I'm clear, what are you offended about? And they said, I'm offended that you would, you know, make fun of someone who's retarded. And I said, no, you missed the story then. Cause if you're going to be exactly. offended, you need to be offended that I'm making fun of you saying you're acting like you're retarded by be, because, because <laughs> we all do that. We look around we us and do. we say, I'm in the wrong heat. Everybody mm-hmm. else has got these problems and I just don't have those problems. And the truth is that we are all in the right heats. We're in the, we're in relationship with people mm-hmm. that are just like us and have the same problems. And if, when we see that and can laugh about it rather than mm-hmm. see ourselves as better than or different or not belonging in this race, that's right. Then we, then we engage from a much healthier perspective. Well, David, so beautifully illustrated a point that is that is key to our success, and that and I'm starting to call it the special case syndrome. <laughs> okay, where you really do believe at some fundamental level that you're a special case, and you look around you, and if it's not the results that you wanted, you figure you're in the wrong heat, you're with the wrong group, right? You drew the wrong straw, whatever it is, you know. When when actually this is perfectly suited for you, and how do you know it's bad in the first place? You right. Know? These are these all have to do with uh, perception. This special case thing, you you shared some other things about um, some studies that have been done or questionnaires that uh, well, psychologists they call this. it the uh, the above average syndrome. I mean, it's mm-hmm. and it's something that people that there's only two groups that they found did not suffer from this. That is professional gamblers. The really good ones, they knew exactly down to a hundredth of a point. They know the what odds. percentage they won, what percentage they lost. They knew when they were doing good. They knew when they were doing bad, when they weren't. And, and, and they made changes and they made constant adjustments. The, the, the really good gamblers, not the leisure ones. The other one is meteorologists. Actually, meteorologists were acutely aware of how often they were right and how often they were wrong on the weather. And they openly admitted, man, we screw it up constantly. Isn't that interesting? Aside from that, Every single group they studied, whether it's CEOs, whether it's attorneys, whether it's stockbroker, if you ask it, the average stockbroker said that they, they pick stocks about 90% of the time they get them right. When they actually reviewed their stock hmm. picks, they found that it was closer to 20% of the time. They just, they just conveniently left out a lot of their really dumb mistakes. It's a selective uh, attention. Uh, absolutely. And, and if, huh. the funny part is we all do it. And, you know, in the book I call it, 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 the above average effect, it has two really d- big downsides. The first is we tend to inflate our own accuracy, our own decision-making acumen. We, we mm-hmm. feel like we're smarter mm-hmm. than everybody else. We feel like we, have a, we can see a bigger picture than other people. And especially when people, don't dis- when people disagree with us. The other thing that we then have to do in order to be above average is not only have to inflate our own abilities, we have to deflate everybody else's and we have to take them down a couple notches. That's right. And that makes us above average. And, and that's just a, a horribly dangerous game to play in life because we miss out on all the things that other people see and mm-hmm. we don't give them credit for their insights. And we end up making way more mistakes than we have to make. Mm. So, well, because we think we know it all. Absolutely. You know, uh, I, th- I want to do a quick test with all of you listeners. 
Okay. Now, just think about think about driving skills, for example. Okay. Now, honestly, are you above average, about average, or below average in your driving skills? And you know what? I've asked half a dozen people <laughs> this in the last week or so. Guess uh-huh. what? Every single one of them feels like they're above average. That's that is the syndrome right there. And you do too, don't you? Admit it. <laughs> anyway, fun stuff. We're going to be back with a little more talk on this perception thing right after this next break. This is Shay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. Get out the wipes, because this could get messy. Or maybe not. Would you ever believe that you could use diapers as your next million-dollar idea? That is exactly what Charlotte Folks did after being fired from her job. She decided to turn an old, interesting hobby into a successful business. She called her product Baby Cakes. What exactly is a baby cake? Charlotte Fox began designing the most elaborate and interesting gift baskets made out of real diapers. She places all kinds of baby gifts in the baskets and turns them into works of art. Charlotte heard often, as many people do, you should sell those. Instead of taking the normal route, she decided to do just that. Baby Cakes is now an international phenomenon. Charlotte's company has grown significantly. She now employs baby cake makers to help with the growth of her enterprise. If you are looking for an idea, it might be just under your nose, even if you have to pinch your nose to look at it. At least that was the case for Charlotte folks and Baby Cakes. This is Shay Larson, IdeaOrbit.com, with the World of Ideas Report. Idea. Wouldn't you like to know? You probably can't bear it, so I guess I'll have to share it. I thought of it a moment. The first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. In between, the leader is a servant. Max Dupree. So, Brett, do you know why I do this? Because you love it, I'm guessing. (laughs) I do. (laughs) I really do. And one of the reasons that I love it so much is because as I engage in these kinds of conversations, you know, and I read your book, but it's just fun to talk to you. As I engage in these conversations, it causes me to take a little closer look at myself. And that's a scary thing to do. So as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking, yeah... I can see how everybody else does that. (laughs) And that's pretty darn funny, you know? And then I'm thinking, wait a minute. That means me, too. Yeah. And how many places am I doing that? You shared something during the break that I'd love to have you share with the listeners. 
Well, I, I was just talking. I, I, I've got some studies and some statistics about this above average syndrome. Um, one, one of them that was really interesting was the, the college boards. They surveyed a, a million high school seniors and they asked them questions about their leadership skills, their, their athletic ability. Um, one of them was their ability to get along with other people and they could, mm-hmm. and they could choose between were they average above average or below average. Um, the one that was really interesting, I mean, in, in, in every case, you know, somewhere between 70 and 90%, depending on the question, felt like they were above average in every one of those questions. On the question about their ability to get along with other people, out of a million people, there was not one person that said they were below average in their ability to get along with other people. There wasn't a single Out of a million, response. not one single person felt like they were below average, which means wow. 50% of them at least are way out of touch. So... <laughs> Well, mathematically, it's not even possible to have more than 50% be above average. Yeah, well, yeah, if you get the Lake Wobegon syndrome mm. that they have on the, you know, PNR or whatever, the radio station. Have you heard that, that guy? I'm it, not sure. It's a fictional town where all the, where it says where all the women are beautiful and all the kids are above average. So, oh, okay. so in the entire town, everybody's above average. and. Uh-huh. and so yeah, that's, that's the other name for it. The psychologist called the Lake Wobegon effect. Mm. So, so what does this mean for someone who's trying to succeed? Well, what it means is, is most people, they make a lot of mistakes that they don't have to make because they rely on themselves a lot more than they have to. We, we are surrounded by, by people that have insights that see things we don't see that, um, notice things that have learned things that have had experiences we haven't had. And most of us fail miserably at, at utilizing the people around us and, mm. and seeing what they see. So we, we march off thinking, okay, I see it. I see the big picture. I, I know how this needs to look. I know how I need to act in my marriage. I know how, what my business needs to look like. And we charge off and it doesn't work out. So we come up with our next best idea and we do it that way. And that doesn't work. And we come up with our next best idea. And, and few people ever sit down and say, what do you see? How do you see? What, what do you see that I could do different? What do you, what do you see that could make this product better? Mm-hmm. How do you like this marketing idea? What do you think mm-hmm. of this logo? What do you, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Well, you used in your book, you used an IQ kind of an analogy. And and this isn't an official psychologically measured IQ that we're talking about, but if you just if you consider your fund of knowledge, yes, and maybe that's a hundred, okay, and you th- see somebody else, and of course they're going to be somewhat less than that, right? Yeah, they're, they're going to be maybe or ninety or eighty, <laughs> but their ninety or eighty is part of what you already have. Then they don't have anything to offer you, right? But even if they are at ninety or eighty. What if they've got 15 that you don't have? By bringing them to the table, you just increased yours to 115. Absolutely. And, and, and as we start to accumulate those, those IQ points in life, that's, that's the, the fifth law, the law of leadership that, we're, that we, we kind of talk about that. As we accumulate IQ points in life, mm-hmm. our ability to amass people. You know, I, I like to use laws of science. So when I, when I use the laws of science to kind of describe these, like the first, um, the first law, the law of vision, I, I kind of, I use Newton's first law of motion as, as a way to describe that. Newton's first law of motion is that objects in motion tend to stay in motion at the same speed and direction, unless acted on by an, by an outside force and objects at rest tend to stay at rest. Um, Mm -hmm. the law from a vision perspective, Newton's law would be 
that people and organizations in motion or people and organizations that are stuck tend to stay stuck and people and organizations that are moving tend to continue moving in the same speed and direction unless acted upon by a vision, you know, mm-hmm. the, and the, the other, in his second law, I kind of use that to wrap up the book because, because that's the experience. His second law is, is a, an equation and it's an equation for force in life. What, what, what makes force his, his, uh, equation for force is force is equal to mass times acceleration. And as I explain that to people, if you want to know how to be successful in life, it's, it's that success or force or influence in life comes from mass, which is how many people are on board with me and how mm-hmm. many people are, are working towards this common vision with me and acceleration, how fast are we moving towards it? And those two factors are what ultimately the, determine our success in life. And most people, they go it alone mm-hmm. And they make decisions so slow, their frequency slow, so slow, they don't get other people's perceptions. They don't, and they, they're not only are they, do they have just no mass because no one else is on board with them, but they also aren't moving fast enough to have any impact anyway. And then they go mm-hmm. through life and wonder, man, how come, why does life seem like a giant roadblock? It's mm-hmm. like, well, mm-hmm. get more people and move faster. And the roadblocks tend to disintegrate when you hit them. Mm. So you just obliterate them if you've got enough force behind it. Right? right. That's and that's you know and that's the that's the key. And then the law of perception is one of the ways to start building um, the mass. That's how do I take how do I move beyond my own IQ? How do I make other people so that they tell me what they see and what they think? Most of us shut people down so much that they don't even tell us when they see they they watch us from the outside and they see this train wreck that we're engaging in and. Most of us have created an environment where no one even says anything to us because they know we won't listen. They know that we don't hear it. And, and you'll have, you'll be surrounded by people that see the train wreck happening. And then at the end, it's like, well, how come you guys didn't say something? Why didn't you say that, you know, this person I'm yeah. dating is going to be a disaster. Why didn't anybody say anything to me? It's like, well, cause you don't care. You don't listen. You don't it care about what hurt. we see. Yeah. Mm. Well, we're jumping, we're skipping around a little bit and getting to this law of leadership. There's uh, law number four is the law of accountability. Yes. Let's let's treat that one for a few minutes and just see where that goes. But the the law of accountability is simply um, rather than blame outside circumstances and conditions for our results, when we own our results, no matter what they are, then that is empowering for us to change them if we want. And you know, for example, when I talk to business owners right now, you know, we're in in uh, February of 2009 and mm-hmm. the economy's in a tailspin, bad reports, layoffs every day, unemployment's going like crazy. Everybody's afraid we're going into another depression. <clears throat> As we engage like that, um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of people that rather than own their results right now, they're blaming the economy, Congress, the banks, the business, the greedy business owners, the CEOs. And they're looking outside of themselves for all the reasons why, rather than saying, wow, here's how I got myself into this situation and into my personal economic situation. And here's what I can do to change or get it out. If it's the bank's problem and the bank's fault, then we're all screwed because there's nothing we can do about it. We're just, we're victims in this whole thing. And, and so the law of accountability is simply when, when I get a result I want or one that I don't want, when I own it is when I'm constantly looking for how did I contribute to this? What could I change or do different to get a different result if I don't like what I've got? Mm-hmm. The, the most powerful experience I've had recently with this particular law 
was when I was going to see a client of mine down in southern Utah. And this particular client lived off of the, I think it was called the Brigham Road exit, something like that. Well, I'm cruising along, and you know how you sometimes get lost in your thoughts, and you miss your exit. Yeah. I missed my exit, and I didn't even realize that I had missed the exit until I saw a sign that said, Welcome to Arizona. (laughs) I'm thinking, crap, this isn't where I wanted to be, you know? And I'm looking around and seeing myself out here in the Arizona desert. You're only off by one state, though. That's not too bad. Yeah, I mean, it was an adjacent <laughs> state, at least. But then, if you get to the one that says "Welcome to California," then you're really in trouble, right? And that, and that gets back to the law of frequency, <laughs> right? I better be looking for the first exit to get turned around. But you know, the the powerful experience for me was looking down and seeing my own hands on the wheel. <laughs> That's right. Okay, now a victim is going to just, you know, they want to blame somebody else. It wasn't me. It's not my uh, fault. Right? Those stupid idiots didn't put up the right signs right. on the road. And, you know, it bites a little. It really bites a little to accept accountability and to practice accountability because as you look down, you see your own hands on your wheel. You're there because you drove there. Right. But the bad news is also the good news because if your hands are on the wheel, you can turn it you around. You can turn and... it. You can steer it. You can drive it. And if you don't take accountability and your hands aren't on the wheel, you're constantly waiting for someone or something else to make this all right for you. And how likely is that to happen? Because the people you're blaming, you typically don't like. Well, and, and, and believe it or not, the people you're blaming, most likely they're blaming you. So they're, the people that didn't put up the road signs, they're probably saying, oh, those idiot drivers, they can't read the road sign mm-hmm. if we put one up. So, so they're, you know, when we all point fingers at each other, I, I just spoke at the Builders Conference in Las Vegas, the national, the International Builders Conference, and you know it's interesting because they're they're really in a touchy situation right now as business owners. Their their market is just in shambles, and most of them are really struggling. And most of them, if you talk to them, they blame the politicians and the bankers and the, all these things. And I started off my talk. I didn't make a lot of friends when I said, "Until you folks own that you made this happen." until you embrace as builders that you created this horrible market that you're in by being greedy, by not listening, by not looking at sustainability until you own that we can't solve the problem. And, but afterwards I, there's a lot of people that came up and said, you know what? That's actually empowering though. Cause if we, if we truly created it, it also means we're the ones who can get ourselves out of this and we don't have to wait around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for someone else to bail us out. And, mm. you know, that's, that, that's, that would be the message. Well, and that's the empowerment there. And it's not always a popular message. <laughs> I get fired for this one all the time. You know, yes. I was thinking as you were describing this scenario that they were in the back gathering up the tar and the feathers and they're going to yeah, right. come after you. But you're speaking truth to them. And regardless of the economy or the marketplace or the government or whatever else is going on in your life, what, what can you do? to get your hands squarely on the wheel. And until you do that, you're not going to steer this thing anywhere. Yeah. So that's the law of accountability. We've got one more, and we're going to talk about that in depth after this next break. It's the law of leadership, and that's going to kind of help us wrap it all. Yeah, that kind of brings them all together, all the laws together. So that's, that's a fun one to talk about. We'll get to that right after this one.
This is Kirk Weasler to tell you about morebetterbooks.com. Morebetterbooks.com is where you can find more better books for a more better life. Not only that, let me tell you about some of the very fun and cool select titles on morebetterbooks.com. You'll want to get a copy of The Dog Poop Initiative. This best-smelling book could change your life forever. It certainly changed the lives of thousands of Boeing employees, as well as school teachers, parents, leaders across the United States and in Israel and in Germany. And you can get your own copy at morebetterbooks.com. Whoa, that's not all. What about The Cookie Thief? This classic tale told in a rhyming format, fully illustrated with very fun hit messages. Pick up a copy now today on morebetterbooks.com. Other great titles there, Finding Your Pathway to Mastery, Beyond Illusions, Make It Great. These titles are only available on morebetterbooks.com. Go to morebetterbooks.com today and begin to have a more better life and live that life on purpose. Raising kids is one of the most challenging and rewarding experiences we can have in life. Your children didn't come with an owner's manual, so it's up to you to learn whatever will assist you in your role as a mom or a dad. Join me and my husband, Dr. Paul, for a free weekly discussion about all of the hot topics in parenting. Listen to what others are saying about these calls. By applying the things I've learned to the parental power calls, I'm finally becoming the mom I always thought I would be. I really like to use parental power as kind of like a reference book. So as I have concerns with my parenting, I like to be able to look up on the blog and then listen to whatever podcast seems closely related. I like the variety of of topics, the variety of age groups that are addressed. I'm on the parental power calls as often as I possibly can because I know I'm going to come away with something I can apply to being a parent that very day. Let us join your parenting team through parental power. Just send an email to drpaul at liveonpurposeradio.com to register for the live calls. Or just check us out first through the link at drpaul.org. All of the previous calls are posted on our blog site, where you can also add your own input. Let's team up to start parenting on purpose. Okay, so we've got time to wrap this up with, I don't know if this is your favorite one, Brett, but I'm just, I'm seeing you as a person who really likes to teach leadership. Is that I, accurate? I love, leadership's what brings all the laws together. So mm-hmm. it, that all the laws eventually fall under the law of leadership. And that's number five, the law of leadership. Yes. So wrap this up for us. Leadership has, from my perspective, there's there's so many different ways to define leadership. I define it by two parameters. The first first principle of leadership is aggregation. And that means how many people, when I'm as a leader, how many IQ points do I aggregate from those around me? Um, How do I... How do I collect insights? How do I see beyond my own paradigms and my own perceptions um, and mm-hmm. using the people that, that surround me to do that? Um, the second one is diversity. And, and so diversity, most people go out in life and A, they don't pay any attention to anybody else. They just do their own thing. And the second thing that, and I'm not saying you should care what everybody else thinks. I'm not saying you let them make the decision for you. Is simply incorporate their insights into your own. Constantly build what you see. Well, and have the humility to realize you don't know it all. 
Absolutely. That's what we were talking about before the break. So Yeah, most people. I mean, you and I know everything. But, well, we're but above other, average. <laughs> that's true. After all. <laughs> the, 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 most people, they, so that, the first one is aggregate information. You know, here, here's an interesting um, story that there, there's a book out, one, a, a, great, um, a, a great book, and I can't even remember the name. I'll remember the name of it mm. as we go on here. Uh, the Wisdom of Crowds, it's called. It starts off oh, with yeah. the story about um, in, in, in 1905 in the World Fair, they had it in London, England, and they had this big pen at the, beginning, at the entrance to the fair. And everybody that walked into the fair could fill out a little white piece of paper and guess the weight of a steer that was in the pen. Whoever came the closest would win the steer. And they had, they had everything from little kids that guessed it weighed 15 pounds. They had mm-hmm. people that guessed it weighed 30,000 pounds. If you're not good at steer weight guessing, both of those were way, way off. Yeah. They, they had, you know, cattlemen that came that were experts that were pretty good at looking at a steer and guessing the weight. Um, over the course of the, the World Fair, they had over 10,000 people that guessed the weight of the steer. At the end, a mathematician came in, and his, his actual original theory was he wanted to prove just how stupid people are when you get them in mass and how far off most people are on something that could you could make some reasonably close assumptions as to what the weight would be of the steer. Mm-hmm. Instead, the one number that really jumped out when he, when, as he did all kinds of mathematical calculations off these 10,000 slips of paper was when you combine them all it, without excluding anybody, including the people that guessed 15 pounds and the ones that guessed 30,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. When you combine them all, the average of the entire group was off by less than two pounds on the way to the steer. Is year. that right? Yeah. And, and so there's wow. power in aggregation. There's power in, in taking all, and there's, there's mm. study after study after study. The most effective predictor of future events is gambling because it takes what thousands of people see and it breaks it down into a number and it is statistically incredibly accurate. If a horse goes off at a four to one long shot or three to one long shot, it will win almost exactly 25% of the time. And and some people are picking because mm. the horse has the name of their kid. Some people are picking because they've done all the statistical analysis on it. Um, when we aggregate what people see, we tend to get it right much more often than one one person makes a decision. So that's what great leaders do. The, the second one is diversification. That's the second attribute of great leaders. And diversification, simply, most people, they go out and they find other like-minded, like-skilled people, and they surround themselves with those people. And they do it in their mm. businesses, in their families. They pick people that they see as like them, people that won't argue with them, people that won't won't dispute things with them. And and then they end up in a much weaker position in life because they end up with two, um, in my book, I use circles to kind of describe it. And you end up with two mm-hmm. circles that are really similar. And there's not a lot to add to each other when they're, they're really similar. The most successful folks that I know, they recognize, for example, one of my traits that is my best and my worst trait absolutely clearly is my optimism. I'm, I'm the most optimistic mm-hmm. person you'll ever meet. It constantly gets in my way and it constantly is a, a huge factor in, in my success. And it's, it's, it, I don't see it as good or bad. It's just, I am an optimist. I always see it that way. Mm-hmm. If and I that sur- has upsides and downsides, right? When mm-hmm. I surround myself with other optimists, I tend to exacerbate the, the downsides and to some degree, I tend to even weaken the good sides of it. Mm. When, I, when, I bring in, when I bring in a partner, a business partner, the very first person I always bring in is I bring in someone who is pessimistic and detail-oriented oriented because I am innovative and optimistic. And I need someone who can get the ball in the end zone and someone who can say, oh, Brett, well, slow down, slow down for a second because I think you're being mm-hmm. overly optimistic. As I've learned to listen to those people, 
I find out that I constantly miss things. I miss things all the time and they see things I miss. And by listening to them, I don't give up the benefits of my optimism, Mm -hmm. but I don't Mm -hmm. make the same mistakes. And, and together I add something and they add something and we come, we end up at this third dimension that few people ever experience in life where I've, I've actually diversified how I see things or or solutions that I'm seeing to, Mm -hmm. to problems. And, you know, and then as I add a third person, I can diversify even more. And as I add a fourth person, I can diversify even more. And, and we start to build all kinds of power by, aggregating opinions, asking for them and diversifying them. Um, mm-hmm. It's the secret to leadership. Wow. It, it seems that in order to do that, a leader has to really develop the attribute of humility where they're, where they're willing to allow that to become part of the picture. There, you know, the, I use the example there, there's a book out called team of rivals, fantastic book. It's about Abraham Lincoln and probably the, hmm. the best story I've ever heard of, of any president is he surrounded himself with his enemies, with his political enemies, the people that ran against him, the people from other parties. He filled his cabinets. As a matter of fact, Barack Obama is modeling his presidency right now after Abraham Lincoln. He's, he's had such a profound hmm. impact from that book. And, and that's what I talk about in, in The Law of Leadership, that same concept. Um, at one point, he had one of his cabinet members, which was a— brutal enemy of his as an attorney. He had actually, this guy had fired him from, from his biggest case ever, um, a guy named Edwin Stanton. And Edwin Stanton was the secretary of war. And, and at one point, it, Lincoln had approved an appropriation. The guy had gone to Edwin Stanton to get the money and Edwin Stanton read it and said, oh, there's no way I'm giving you money for this. And the guy said, well, you have to. It, Lincoln approved it himself. Lincoln's the one who said, you know, the president of the United States signed this. You have to give it to me. Stanton said, no way. If Lincoln signed this, he is, he's a damn fool. That was his, that was his words. And, and so the guy left and went back to Lincoln and said, you know, he wanted to get Lincoln all riled up towards Stanton so he could get his money. And Lincoln said, he won't pay you. What did he say? And the guy said, well, he said, you're a damn fool. And Abraham Lincoln said, is that exactly what he said? And he said, yes, that's exactly what he said. And, and Abraham Lincoln said, you know what? Edwin Stanton is the smartest man that I know. So mm. if he says I'm a damn fool, I probably am. I probably screwed this one up. So let me reread it and look at it again because maybe this isn't what we want to do. Man, if we all had that approach, wow. that's why he was a great, you know, many consider him to be the greatest president we've ever had. It was that style of leadership of being willing to, you know, look at look and, and to have that kind of, of trust and confidence in other people. And mm. he wasn't weak. No. Well, you can't be weak and be a leader, but you do have to be humble and willing to allow the perspective of others to come into your field of vision somehow. Yeah, and just let it be, let it influence what you see, so that you you're seeing a bigger picture than you're seeing by yourself, without personalizing it. <laughs> right, because because we're all a special case, <laughs> you know, we tend to personalize some of the feedback we get from other people, and then. And then we attach all of this emotional baggage to it that makes it harder for us to swallow when really it could be very, very timely feedback. It's my experience as I've applied this, and I don't do it all the time. I maybe do it 50% of the time, and my success mm-hmm. has gone up dramatically as I apply it. But it's, it's actually, it's, mm. it's, it might be painful for a second. At some point, it's liberating, though, mm-hmm. because, because the confidence level I have in, in my decisions and the number of people that are willing to go into battle with me on anything because they feel heard and they feel listened to and they feel like I care about what they see and they feel like they've contributed to what I see and to mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I got an army that will follow me into battle because, because they feel, they, they feel like they're heard and, mm-hmm. and they're part of, you know, they're on, they're on my team. That's right. And then that loyalty is there and, uh, it can just catapult you to levels that you've never been in before. Absolutely. Wonderful. Okay. So in the few minutes we have left, what would be your advice to someone? Where do they start if they're feeling a little stuck in their success? That if I could give someone one tip and say, do this and you know, you can do this today. And the next, whenever mm-hmm. the first time, the next time that you find yourself where someone disagrees with you, when someone's not on the same page as you are, then the next time you do that, rather than assume that you see the big picture and the other side doesn't see the big picture, if you simply mm-hmm. shift it slightly and say, huh, rather than think they must be missing something, say to yourself, huh, I must be missing something. And if I engage with people mm. like that, that's the only thing, I, if, if that's the only shift you make, you, you start off with the assumption you're missing something instead of someone else is missing something, you'll find that life just opens wide open because a good solid 50% of the time, you are the one that's missing something. Well, when you see all the cars going the other direction, you might think you're on the wrong side of the street. <laughs> right. It's kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah. And you have to get past that special case syndrome or the above average right. uh, syndrome to do that. Brett, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or to get connected with the other things that you're doing? Where would you steer people? Well, um, first of all, re- get the book. It's a, it is a fantastic Absolutely. book. And can I just can I just emphasize that? I read a lot of books, and I interview a lot of authors, and this is this is easily above average. <laughs> we'll joke about that, but seriously, this is a this is the kind of book that I read, and I th- I saw immediate application to my own life, to my business, to the other things that I'm trying to accomplish. So yes, please read the book. We'll put a link on the website for you. It's called "The Five Laws That Determine All of Life's Outcomes" by Mr. Brett Harward. The the and other what else? the other thing you can do is um, our website. If you want to look at some of our business and coaching services, um, mm-hmm. um, our website is manifest for f o r success manifest for success dot com, and in there you can you can read all kinds of and, and there's newsletters and there's other information about what we do and our business programs. We do a lot of business consulting, business coaching. We work with mm-hmm. small business owners and management teams. Um, we do speaking engagements and training, and all that's available on the website. And um, yeah, come check it. Come check it out. If you get the book, the one thing I would I would love to hear from people. I love feedback. I love mm-hmm. you know, especially if it's really good feedback. If you say this is the best book that you've ever read, then for sure send me an email saying that. Yeah. Um, but write it the, down. <laughs> sign your name to it. On the, on the very last page of the book is my email address, and that is my live. That's that's the email address that I use. Okay. Um, I love to get feedback. So. Um, as you get this and read it or experience it or experience changes, send me your stories and examples. I'll use them in my radio interviews when I'm explaining what I do and how this works. Go out there and help even more people (laughs) to achieve that level of success. Brett Harward is with us today, folks. We, I I just want to thank you, Brett, for coming. It's been a joy and a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to maybe we can do this again sometime. I think we will. And I want all of you to go out there and live on purpose. We'll catch you next time.